Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. First of all, I must say Merry Christmas to those of you that celebrate Christmas and happy holidays to the liberals. There might be some liberals here who don't believe in Christmas, so happy holidays to you. But this is going to be our final episode of the year. It's the end of December. Next time you hear from us, it'll be 2023. So this is going to be a last episode. But today, obviously, my co-host, Phoenix, is here. And I think Phoenix has been uh, traveling all around Europe, eating expensive foods like fish. So we're eating expensive fish, lobster, caviar, the sort of things that would upset Buhari. That's what Phoenix has been doing over the Christmas. And then we have our guest today is Eloka. Eloka is a trade finance specialist. And the three topics we'll be discussing are, first of all, the DSS. It's reported that the Department for State Security, Nigeria's secret police, are looking for the governor of Central Bank because they want to arrest him for terrorism and corruption. Secondly, we'll discuss the conviction of Don Yokukwe. Don Yokukwe was the director general of Peter Obi's campaign and has been convicted for corruption and replaced by Akin Oshuntoku. Thirdly, we'll discuss the comments by Atiku Abubakar, the candidate for the PDP. We'll discuss his comments on zoning or the principle of rotational presidency. So firstly to Phoenix. Phoenix, over to you. Why were you eating expensive fish, caviar and all that on Christmas? Would Buhari be happy with, with such behavior, Phoenix? Before we then, then when you've answered that question, can you just tell us why the DSS is looking for Emir Fili? There might be a connection between those two, but yes, over to you, Felix. <laughs> Hi, listeners. Uh, good to have this final episode for, for what has been a really great year for Nigeria Politics Weekly. Hello, Michael, and uh, thanks, Aluka, for joining us on this particular one. Michael, it's been a fantastic Christmas, I can't lie. As, as I'm sure you've seen the pictures. It was, it's been quite enjoyable. Um, and uh, spent the Christmas enjoying the fears of Spain. And uh, yeah, the food has been great indeed. So I can't say much of that, much again about that. But I can promise you there's no connection with uh, Mephele's travels. <laughs> it's, it's been very interesting. To see this very sweet, <laughs> this very, very swift fall from grace. I mean, it's hilarious, I mean, to say the least. But all of a sudden, we found out that the DSS had uh, named Imifele in some, in some terrorist financing scheme um, and declared him wanted. They had, um, they had planned to get some agents to arrest him. Of course, Emifele had been out of the country uh, as part of Buhari's entourage to the US, this meeting that um, Biden had for African um, heads of state. Um, and, uh, and he was supposed to have returned. My understanding is that he's back, but somewhat keeping a low profile, but we haven't heard anything about an arrest yet. It, it's intriguing that they, that they are accusing him of um, of financing terrorism, and I haven't seen enough of the details. And quite frankly, it's all of this murky stuff that you don't really know where they're going with it. Because I mean, they they tried to get a a court order from some judge to arrest him, which was turned down because the judge was saying, "Look, you're not giving me enough details. There's nothing in this that enables your case." 
and but they've still, you know, in the in the manner of Buhari DSS, I mean, try to go out and get this thing done. I mean, first of all, we're talking about Mifili here, and he has done enough enough wrong <laughs> for for his comeuppance to to be due, and so. But it's coming, it's coming so quickly that I mean, it's not expect, it's not wasn't expected. I mean, one one thought that he will be dealt with once we have a new government come May twenty nine, and hopefully it's the, the person I hope it will be. Um, but it, it, it's quite weird that the, the Barry um, administration is keen to do away with him and has, has brought up these trumped up charges that they def that will definitely see the end of him unless something miraculous happens. This is a Mayfielder who has led the central bank uh, um, for the last, uh, what's it now? He took over in 2014. So he's been there for eight years. Um, he's the only one since we returned to democracy who's got gotten a, a second term in office. He's overseen uh, two recessions. He's overseen a significant devaluation of the Naira. He's overseen and if a spike in inflation, which is the primary mandate of the central bank. But even more damning is, the, is that he's overseen uh, two things. So first of all is the spate of um, the increase of the central bank's balance sheet to underwrite the, the federal government. It's, he's, it's been like a blank check to the government to spend and borrow from the central bank as it deems fit. And, even worse is the attempt that he made to run for presidency. So there are a lot of scenes that one can count against the Mayfield. And, and so to see this come into play, especially as uh, what we are hearing is that it's a fallout of this change of currency and, and some politicians are kicking against it. We also heard some rumblings in the National Assembly um, about, about him needing to answer for all of the issues at stake. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to come, but it's Nigeria. So there's a lot of intrigues. There are a lot of things that are obvious and something that, that's not obvious. But, but um, I think it's, it's going to be hard for Emifele to get out of this. Um, Phoenix, before I go to Eloka, I need to ask a follow-up question. Because one of the things the court, the judge said, was that they brought a name Godwin Emefile to her without telling her or telling him. I think I don't recall was it him or her, but the judge said, "You didn't tell me that this was the governor of Central Bank. You just Central gave Bank. me a name." Exactly. And the reason I'm asking this question is because isn't it correct that something similar has happened? I think it was either last year or a few months ago, where somebody's house was raided, and then it turns out that the judge was not told that this was the person you were trying to you, you got the order to arrest. Is, is that correct? I think it was to do with the raiding of some judges' houses or something. I think it was maybe Justice Odili's wife or somebody. Correct. What? Justice Odili's wife, uh, Justice Sylvester and Guta. There was also another Justice of Southwest Extraction, if I remember correctly. But I, I don't um, know if that's the incident, but I know something similar happened where the judge claimed the, the, the DSS, the judge said they didn't tell us that this was the house they were going to or... Absolutely. I mean, we've seen TSS do that. I mean, trying to get an order without providing the full details to the judge. Uh, you know, almost like sign the order and then we'll put the, we'll put the name of the suspect later. We'll, um, they, they claim that in matters of national security or in matters of that they, they need to be, um, how would I put it? They need to be 
careful in sharing information. But I mean, the judge was well within, I think it's a her, well within her rights to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give this order if you're not going to tell me we are going after or whatever it is. Thank you, Phoenix. And let me come to Eloka, because I know Eloka, you're, you, you have a finance background. Now, the, the first question is, the chairman of the House Committee, who's in charge of investigating the central bank, I don't know if it was the chairman, this Honorable Kazaure, who doesn't appear to be able to string sentences to, together, he went on this Pigeon English radio show, explaining how he, he said to Mr. President, and Mr. President, give this power. He was trying to say, give this power to arrest somebody, but he kept saying, give this power, this give power, Mr. President, this give power. So the first question I ask Eluka is, is, does he appear, are, are, you, are you comfortable that this is the kind of character, Honorable Kazauri, who is in charge of keeping the central bank governor in check? So that's my, my first question, Eluka. Eluka, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Am I audible? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, so um, to be very honest, like what's the extent? The allegations against NFA are not clear. You know, I watched the I watched a bit of the like interview where Honorable was speaking about some Eluka, uh, your your voice appears a bit low. Is there a way to adjust your volume or uh, I mean Hello. Yes, am I audible you. now? Yeah, this is better. Yeah. Hello. Yes, this. Yes, so this is better. Hello. Hello. We can hear you. Hello, okay. your voice is better. Can you guys hear me now? Yes, this is better. I I can barely hear you guys. Sorry. Well, we can hear you loud and clear. Um. I don't, I'm not sure I can hear you guys. Is there something wrong? Let me, let me leave and join again. Okay. So let me go over, over to Phoenix then until Eluka comes back. So Phoenix, the question I was going to put to Eluka is what I'm going to put to you. Is this Honorable Kazare, is, is he even qualified to be holding uh, the central bank governor to account in your view? Um, am I audible now? Oh, Eluka is back. Oh, yes, we can hear you now. Okay, so I watched the interview with um, Brackete Radio. And to a large extent, I couldn't really understand what um, Honorable Kazure was saying. Because he, he was talking about stamp duty collections and stuff like that. And I mean, he, could, he, could, he can't communicate very well in English. Now, to your question, it shows you the how incompetent the APC government has been that within the National Assembly, they couldn't even find someone who is intellectually sound to oversee the activities of the central bank governor, or rather, the activities of the central bank. And you ask yourself, if this person cannot really communicate what his investigation is or what his outcomes are, how do we know, how can we say we really understand what they have done? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big problem. It's a, I mean, it shows you the malaise of the Nigerian government on how they can't even get the right people to do the right thing. So, I mean, it's, it's a deeper problem, you know, I, and to be honest, it's a shame. I mean, I, I think about um, development, development organizations watching that video and ask themselves that, is, it, is this the guy that 
Is it the person that oversees oversees the affairs of the central bank governor? I mean, we have to deal with it. Thanks. Thank, thank you, Elokan. And then to my follow-up question, which is the second question. How do you think the financial markets and the, the business community are would react to this news that this governor of the central bank is wanted by the DSS? Is is this how, how does the business community respond to this? Is this good for for confidence in the economy? Of course not. I mean, I'm sure there will be shocks somewhere in the financial markets. I'm sure we've seen, I might have seen some reactions in the stock market and the bonds market. So, so the idea really is to say, okay, what has really happened? I can bet you a lot of people in, I mean, DFI's financial development institution are going to be asking questions, asking, um, yeah, asking fellow banks, saying what is really happening? And there's going to be kind of a slowdown in financial activities in Nigeria for a while to a clearer picture is to to get a clearer picture. And so I'm going to I, that, I doubt that there will be a lot of financial activity in Nigerian space. Because everybody's going to be asking what exactly is happening. Why is your central bank not missing at this particular point in time? Now, so I mean it's Nigerian problem. Nigeria is not a serious country, so you can expect that. When these kind of things, people are not going to be shocked per se because they've seen worse, worse outcomes. So I'm sure everyone's going to be, as Obasan just said, so you don't look, that's what's going to be happening. It's negative for Nigeria. We're already dealing with a lot of financial economic pressures. You have your foreign exchange to deal with, you have high interest rates, you have between 7 trillion ways that means that the National Assembly has refused to appropriate. I mean, so many, there's so many things. To deal with and having to deal with a missing central bank governor does not go well for the financial market in Nigeria. Thank you, Eluka. Phoenix, another question on this topic is how did Emir Fele go from the darling of the Buhari government to suddenly becoming wanted? What what is that is that is that political behind the scenes drama or is, is, is there a motive behind the scenes because I, I don't understand as, as you said he was he was in New York with the president they're both smiling so how how who did he offend or what do you know what the backstory is Phoenix I mean we've heard some we've heard some murmurings right now understand that Emefeli can be the darling of Buhari but not the darling of Buhari's inner caucus right and if we also trace the trajectory, if you remember, Emefele, we, we've seen pictures where Emefele was, you know, hanging around the likes of Issa Funtua, uh, who's dead now, and, and I think also a Bakhiari or something. So there, there are two people, key people who he was close to, who are no longer part of that inner caucus. So now we, and we know that there's been a shift in APC. I mean, once the candidates emerged and everybody started working for that candidate to become president, I mean, what I, what I've heard and seen is that there is there is some there is some concern from those quarters as to having Emefiele remaining the central bank governor by the time if and when APC wins the election. So there is apparently some interest to move him out of the way if that new government comes. But there's also some information around 
MFNA has done so much within this government, especially around, you know, FX management. We've seen a lot around the, the borrowing, talk about, I mean, anchor borrowers funds and so many things that is cooked for them, that there's also the concern that, I mean, once this government goes and a new government comes in, think about the fact that Emefile himself was appointed by the GEJ government. And by the time Buhari came in, he swore allegiance to them and some of the travels that some of the GEJ people went through may have come from stuff that he gave up to keep his seat. You know, all of the funding that went out of the central bank, all of the monies that were transferred to enable PDP win the 2015 election, a lot of stories were, were abound and a lot of people were captured and all of those kind of things. So who's to say that if a new government comes in and it is not an APC government, it's a PDP government or a labor government, that Emefile would also not go and swear allegiance to them. And of course, you know, rat out this, this guys that are in power now. So there's a lot of intrigues, there's a lot, of, but there's no doubt that there's political motive behind this. There's clearly no doubt about that. There are the politicians who are frustrated about this exchange of currency at the moment when they're supposed to be having access to cash to um, influence people. I mean, and if the cash is not readily available, how do they influence elections? I mean, no, no Nigerian is going to collect your 5K if they see that it's old money that they can't actually spend. So there's a lot of political undertones to, to what's going on. And I mean, it, it remains to be seen how it all plays out. I mean, I think the biggest issue, and Eloka pointed to it, is the impact that you have on the financial sector and, and our economy at a time when we need um, as much support as we can we can have, given all of the challenges that we've had, to have your central bank governor on the run, it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. I mean, it, it, it just casts a, a shadow on the central bank. And you can imagine how all the counterparties that we have begin to, to think about the about the central bank and its functions, especially at a time when they are when they are driving significant policies such as, you know, changing the Naira design, you know, going, pushing a cashless policy, you know, there's so much going on with the central bank. And then you see the central bank governor, you know, being, being on the run from the state security service. It's, it's incredible. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me ask Eloka a final question on this topic. Eloka, a number of commentators on social media have made reference to the fact that Nigeria has a finance minister, yet whenever the legislature or politicians want to attack anyone on the economy, they seem to focus on Emiefele without asking the finance minister any questions. Um, why is that, Yeluka? Um, I think, I think, I think, I think, I, I don't know why it is, Maybe it's, will I say it's a lack of capacity or immediately at a certain point in his career, our central bank governor centered himself around the activities, the fiscal policies of the federal government. I mean, we all saw how he centered himself around the Ankur Boras pro, uh, program. We saw what he did when he centered himself around the um, investments around fertilizer blending plants. 
he centered himself around um, rice pyramids, you know, and, and to a large extent, I think he's he, he created this. Um, he he laid the focus on himself by getting engaged in things he shouldn't have gotten engaged with, you know. And so to relax, to I mean, so it's it's a 50-50 blame. Emifede's business is fiscal policies, sorry, monetary policies. You have a you have a finance minister who is supposed to be in charge of fiscal policies, but I think I think maybe they've sized her up and seen that she lacks capacity and um, might not be in the position to really give them the kind of answers they need. And so maybe they see Emifede as someone who quote unquote has um, capacity to answer some valid questions on the both monetary and fiscal policies of, of the Bari government. And if we, if we recall again, um, Emifele has also made a lot of very, a lot of controversial, I won't call them controversial, a lot of um, uh, taking some actions that put him in the spotlights. You know, I mean, you look at what has happened with um, how he has managed the exchange rates. Um, he has done this um, cash withdrawal thing. He has done this currency swap. And so I dare I, I say that part of this focus has been um, self-inflicted. You know, I'm not sure he has composed himself well as a central bank government. I'm not sure he has. I mean, we we we've seen a central bank governor who became too ap- ap- apolitical, where you had people trying to campaign for him. I mean, you re- he has raised so many eyebrows. You know, people are so the, the best way to get that team is to dwell on these issues and try to you know find loopholes of how to, how you can put him in a box and maybe bring him down, you know. And and, and so and some people might say yes, the reason why um and then I just, what's her name? The current minister of um finance, I've forgotten her name, Zena Busman. The reason why Zena Busman is not getting a lot of flat is that she's from quote unquote the right side of the country. And so there's this tendency for us for people who want to attack to again use that um, ethnicity to differentiate her from people like Emifili, you know. So it's always as Bini people as your as Bini people go say, now who you feel beat, you go fight. So now who you feel beat, they fight. So now Emifili they feel beat. Now why did they fight her? I think that's what's happening. Oh, thank you, Eloka. Now let's move to our next topic. Doi Okukwe who is the director general, who was the director general of Peter Obi's presidential campaign, last week found himself convicted of money laundering. Uh, Phoenix, I know you're an obedient. How on earth did your, your party, your candidates, director general, end up a criminal convict? Can you talk us through what happened, Phoenix? Phoenix, are you there? Sorry, Michael. No, I'm going to check with our people and I'll send you an email. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, we can hear you, Phoenix. Yes. Okay, good. No, I mean, I, well, we we do know that, I mean, and I think it, some of it we talked about, uh, I just mentioned um, while talking about uh, Amy Phyllis Travels. Uh, we do know that um, uh, people who worked for 
the previous PDP administration under GEJ um, have been um, under investigation uh, for charges of you know, collecting money that were meant for arms, monies that were distributed by the former National Security Advisor, Sambo Dasuki. And of course, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Doyo Kupe was named as one of those. And this has been a case that has been going on for, if I remember, I think it's almost seven years now or something of that nature. So it, it, it and it's and it's been, I, I won't lie. I mean, I I haven't followed it, and it seemed quiet to me. And all of a sudden, it comes up now, and very speedily we see a conviction. And then when you start, so you the first thing you hear is, "Oh, Hugo has been convicted, uh, and he's going to jail." So then you go read the the. Um, the proceedings and and what was being reported, and then you find out that um, the even the judge was a bit reticent in handing down a sentence, saying that it was a honest mistake, because at the end of the day, what what he was being convicted of was based on a money laundering charge, so he wasn't convicted of corruption because what what the EFCC could prove was that yes, he did receive money, but he was a government official who was given approval to go and spend monies by the president. It just so happened that the president directed that the funds should be passed to him by the NSA, you know, because we all know that governments in Nigeria, both, both at the center by the president and the governors all have this slush fund that they call their security vote. And that's what Dasuki was distributing. So you don't have the people who gave, the man who gave the order, GEJ, in the dock. You don't have Dasuki, the conduit through who passed out the money in the dock. But then you have the guy who received the money and ostensibly did government's work as, as given um, instructions by his principal in the dock for collecting money. But then the charge became or he collected money outside of a financial institution, which is clearly against the Anti-Money Laundry Act. You're not supposed to collect more than 5 million naira outside of the outside of the financial institution so that it can be tracked and things like that. So yes, he was handed a sentence. It was a, I think it was a 52 count charge. They ended up charging him for, uh, I think, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up my facts now. But some of the charges were, were discharged and then 26 counts he was charged for, and he was given two years for each count to run concurrently. So basically he was supposed to go to jail for two years, or he could pay a fine of 500,000 per account, which I believe he ended up paying um, and, and therefore was, was let go. But of course, I mean, the, the political nature of, I mean, we're in, we're in the political season and he plays such a prominent role in the OB campaign, he was the DG of the campaign. And of course, that cast the pall on the overall campaign, which, of course, I mean, we then saw him step down and since then he's been replaced. So I, I think to, to my mind, I mean, clearly there was an offense committed. Um, and and of course the right the, the sentence was handed down. Of course we can expect that to while of a sudden the judgment was fast tracked when it had been dragged for so long. 
But I mean, I, the law has taken its course. But what was most important for me was how did the Labour Party handle uh, what had happened? And of course, seeing him step down and then be, be replaced um, so swiftly and with somebody from within their ranks and somebody of the caliber of Akin Yoshitoku was, was therefore a positive in my, in my mind. And, and I think the Labour Party has weathered the storm really well and should move forward from this. But it also speaks to the need to be mindful and to make sure that, I mean, they're, I mean, they're looking into, into the character and into the, any backstory of anybody who's working with them because you're selling an ideal and people are latching on for a, for, a, for a different type of outcome. And I think this has proven that Labour Party is clearly different from the likes of APC and PDP because I know that if they had had this kind of instances, I mean, we've seen Iyoche Ayu accused of, of, uh, of all sorts. We've seen all the, all the things that have come up about the candidate of the APC and nobody has said anything about it. For the Labour Party to act in this way, for Okupe to take the honorable path of stepping down um, and Obi accepting. And then of course we see a change, smooth change, no, no selfishness, no bickering. Of course, we, we heard that the National Publicity Secretary of the, of the Labour Party is playing some games, but you expect things like that to happen. People are, you know, uh, so many things are going on right now, but I think they've handled it well and let's see how it all unfolds. Thank you, Felix. Well, I must ask a follow-up question. A number of people have raised questions about Peter Obi's judgment because they said he knew or ought to have known at the time he appointed Doing Okupe that Doing Okupe was standing trial. So is it defensible that you knowingly appointed someone who was standing trial for corruption as your campaign director general, Phoenix? I think, I think, I mean, we, we need to also trace it back to the, 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 kind, of, the kind of battle that Peter Obi is in. Um, he needed allies from day one when he chose to break away from PDP and go chart his own course with the Labour Party. And Doyokube was one of those very first people. In fact, he was the first prominent person that we saw that was supportive of him. So... So I think, I mean, of course, he, he, he worked with him, but he would have known that, yes, there was, there was a case against him. The question would have been, in his judgment, did he, did he know the facts of the case? And did he think that the, the, the facts of the case um, put Okupo in such a bad light that he should not be working with him? I mean, in my, in my honest opinion, I don't think, I mean, number one, let's be clear. Doyokwe has not been convicted of corruption. He has been convicted of, of you know, going against the Anti-Money Laundering Act, which says you must not collect money outside of the financial institution beyond a certain amount of money. That is not corruption. Even the judge said it was a honest mistake. So if, if Peter Obis, knowing the facts of the case, decided that, no, this guy hasn't committed any crime. He hasn't committed a corruption crime that, you know, sullies him, but let's, and I'm not going to prejudge, let's, because at that point in time, the court, the case was in court and nobody knew what the outcome was going to be. What if the judge had thrown the case out and said, 
This is not a corruption case. Number two, he was following the instructions of his principal. They gave him money outside of bank. He's, he could not have insisted that, no, you go and pay the money through the bank. Let us go and bring Dasuki and bring GJ. You know, it could have gone any, any way. So I think, you know, if Dunyokupe had been convicted of corruption and with a clear case, then I think, yes, you can call Peter Obi's you know, judgment into question. But with the facts of the case as they are, I think it's. I think people are just, you know, determined to create mischief by 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 raising those those issues. And I think I the way they both handled it, the way they both handled it, in my view, um, is the best outcome they could have hoped for. I suppose the question then is: if you're saying he wasn't convicted of corruption, then why did he feel the need to resign? He should have stayed on if he didn't come. No, because of but no, but because of things like this now. I mean, it's because of it's because of if he had stayed on, he would have become the story rather than Peter Obi's campaign, because people would have were already using the, the issue. They were twisting it and and making it about what it was not. So that would they would have spent their time trying to fight, you know, the mudslinging and the twisting of the story rather than focusing on their campaign. The moment Doyo uh, resigned, the story was dead. Have you ever have you heard any other person saying anything about it again? No, they've moved on from it, from it. But if he had remained in place, they would have made it an issue and kept on hammering on on that, hammering on that, and it would have become the the center story. I think it was just it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do for the campaign to step aside while he made he made sure to say that I will continue, I will appeal and fight to clear my name because I was not convicted of. Of corruption, and even the judge was saying that it was a mistake. So I think it was the right thing to do for the campaign. Otherwise, they would have been, um, you know, fighting a, a battle they shouldn't be. Well, thank you, Phoenix. I'll leave the listeners to make their judgment or reach their verdict on whether or not they agree with your analysis. But Eluka, the second part of the issue is the appointment of. Aki Oshuntoku, if you remember, Aki Oshuntoku used to be a special advisor on political matters to Obasanjo, President Obasanjo, when he was in office between, I think, 1999 and 2007. So, Luka, in your view, is Aki Oshuntoku the, the, the bright replacement for doing your cookware? Do you think that will add vigor to Peter Obi's campaign, Luka? Yes, I think so. But, but before, I, before I answer, um, respond directly to your question on, on Professor Akio Shutuko. I need, I need us to be clear on the kind of funny, funny and curious case of Dunyokupe's conviction. And as Phoenix said, he was not convicted on corruption. He was convicted on receiving cash outside the approved limit. I think it was 10 million or can't remember. So it's a money laundering problem. Okay. So the question I ask myself is, if you did not convict him on corruption, you're convicting him on money laundering in a situation where the cash was authorized by the president. In fact, the judge said it, although the cash release was approved by the president and the NSC. Why are you now convicted? Why? I mean, clearly, of course, it was rich, but why? I mean, I, I, I find the case interesting, but I you know it's part of the, it's part of the, Abracatabra we do in Nigeria. 
you know. But I like the fact that he he looked at the situation and he didn't want to become a distraction. He didn't want to become the focus of the campaign. And the right thing to do was to step down. And I gave him credit. Now to your question, I I mean, I was happy when I read the news of um, Professor Kyosho Tuko's um, appointment because I read his articles a lot. In, I think he used to write on the back page of this day, if, I, if I'm not correct, and I know you've shared some articles with me. And you, you can see clearly someone who can articulate his points in easy readable language. And so it's good that we have some, uh, the P2B campaign has, a, or rather the Labour camp, Presidential Campaign Committee appointed someone like Professor Akio Shotu to take, to take over from doing, it's, it's, it's a great, it's, it's a massive, to be honest, it's a massive improvement. But for me, man, I, I think the question I ask myself is, elections are about winning. And when you look at it, I, I say to myself, does Professor Akio Shutko have the local presence or local uh, world level condition to deliver 25% for P2B in the Southwest? Now, on a higher, on a high, on higher level, we see that Obasanjo has a significant hand in this, um, in this campaign. I mean, Coincidentally, it's not it's not it's not a matter of question that both DGs were special advisors or special assistants to Lucian Galvasanjo. And so you can see their hand clearly. You can see his hand clearly in this campaign. You know, and I think that to a large extent, right? I think that to a large extent, um Akio Shutku is has much more, I mean, I, I think he has more of a media presence and he understands how to navigate the intricacies of negotiating with the media, getting the right um, media presence for Labour Party and the uh, for P2B. So I, I, I don't see, I, 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 I think that in terms of media presence, in terms, in terms of um, communication, in terms of advertising, in terms of political campaigns and jingles, I, I think Akin Shotoku is best fit. I mean, if we if we don't forget, lest we forget, he was MD of New News Agency of Nigeria. So, I think he comes to the right skill set for this for as the DJ of the um, Labour Party Presidential Campaign Committee. Thank you. Thank you, Eluka. My final question on this topic. I just want to ask you a follow up before we go to the next topic, Eluka. So, Aki Oshintoku. Obviously, it's from the Southwest, the DG of the campaign, the president, the candidate is obviously from the Southeast, and I forgot his that is from the Northwest. So do you think Akin's presence will help to galvanize the Southwest base to vote for OB? Is, is that a sort of strategic outreach to the South, Southwest to see if they can get more numbers by choosing him? Yes, I, 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 so, so, so this question is, um, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people have accused the Labour Party of uh, ignoring the rotational or zoning formula in which allocated its uh, key campaign offices where you have the chairman of the party from the South, South, chairman of presidential candidate from the Southeast, and um, you have now have a DG from the Southwest. And I tell people that, the Labour Party is it's a very cool. I mean, there are a lot of things you cannot just change, you know, to suit some. That with time, as soon as there is a clear structure of how the party run, I'm sure 
the adjustments will be made. But for the meantime, I think their main focus now is to win the election. That said, Shotoku, yes, part of it is to see, is to look for how you can get people en masse in the Southwest. I mean, before his appointment, he was the Southwest coordinator of the P2B campaign. So I guess that this is more like a promotion for him. And, uh, and the campaign is going to be looking at how they can bite deep into getting voters across, voters in the Southwest to vote, especially to get 25% for P2B in the Southwest zone. Now, why do I see this? And when you look at P2B's acceptability, clearly from polls and from surveys and feedback received from people on the ground, P2B is widely acceptable in four zones of the six zones of Nigeria. So you have the Southeast, the South-South, the Southwest, and the North Central. He has a bit of acceptability some, in some places in the Northeast. In the Northwest, he's virtually non-existent apart from states like Kaduna um, and Kano. So the Southwest is key to a P2B victory. And so what do we need to do for the Southwest? You know, as we all know, we have someone from the Southwest campaigning, running under the platform of the APC. So you need to show them a bit of inclusion. And I think this, this, this appointment will tell people, okay, this is part, this is what we intend to do. And you have Anakin Shotoku, who, who, was, who has won two elections, working with Obasanjo, who has the media, who understands what the kind of messaging people in the Southwest, because he's from the Southwest who need to vote to vote for someone like Peter Bias against voting for the presidential candidate of the APC. So I, I, I think that, I mean, that those are the considerations that must have been made by the PCC to say, okay, Akin Shotoku is going to be a, a right fit for this position. And and it's, it's left to see what will happen on February 25th. And, I mean, all everybody's hopes are up. Hoping that um, on that day the votes required to take P2B across to make him win the elections will come. Thank you, Eloka. Now, this takes us to our final comments. Phoenix, Atiku gave a recent interview where he was asked about this principle of zoning or rotational presidency that everybody talks about in Nigeria. That is the idea that the presidency should rotate between northern and southern Nigeria. And he was asked about that, and his response was that the rotational presidency was a, a party decision. And within the PDP, for I think 13 or 14 years, the presidents have always come from the south. Therefore, it was fair that the next the PDP's candidate should be northern, regardless of the fact that the APC would just be had just delivered an eight-year presidency for uh, President Buhari. That obviously generated a lot of comments on social media. And I wanted to get your view first, Phoenix. Did you did you see reason with what Atiku was saying on zoning? No, I didn't see any reason with what he was saying on zoning because Atiku's views on zoning change based on institutional. It changes from time to time. So we, we, have, to, we have to take ourselves back to 2006 and ask what, what were Atiku's views on zoning back then. He was, he was very much in favor of zoning. Why? Because we're coming to the end of an eight-year Southwest presidency. And of course, it was logical 
because at that, and he was very clear that, look, as the PDP, we put it in our constitution that we'll have a north-south rotation. And so the expectation was that, you know, after everybody was done with the third term agenda that obviously failed, that the person to succeed Obasanjo um, was going to be someone from the north, and that's what we had. And then we had um, Yadua, uh, who passed on um, three years into his tenure, and his vice stepped in to complete his, his tenure, taking him to 2011. Now, you had a sitting president who had um, widespread support from Nigerians. And it was only logical for PDP to ask him to continue. But at that point in time, Atiku was angling that no, it should still be the North that because, because um, Yadua's first term was truncated, that the North had lost its opportunity. So he was very much not happy in 2010, 2011, that GJ that, um, um, was preparing to run in 2011 for his own first term, of course, having completed the last year of Yadwa's thing. And he even made threats then about how, I mean, if, if, if this thing doesn't go right, there'll be violence, blah, blah, blah. Of course, um, he contested the primaries with GJG. I mean, Jonathan won, and of course became the president in 2011. Along the line, you know, come 2013, going into 2014, of course, we saw Atiku preparing, of course, to run again. But I mean, those around GDJ were like, no, I mean, he's the sitting president, he's doing well, he has the right to ask for, um, um, I mean, to, uh, to seek a second term. And I've made the argument that yes, you, you don't tell a sitting president that he's going to, you should step aside because you want to some uh, do some zoning or whatever you want to do. I mean, it makes no sense. You should let the Nigerian people decide if they want him to continue or not. But of course, I mean, we know what, what happened and um, Atiku decided that no, since that this is the path that you people want to go in PDP, that I will go and try my luck elsewhere and decided to go and help, you know, to leave the PDP with his supporters and go and join forces with the likes of Tinumbu and Buhari and form the APC, where he also ran in their primaries, losing out, of course, to, to Buhari, who became the APC, um, you know, bearer, and, and of course, Don. Buhari wins the election in 2015, and then we see Atiku run back to PDP, you know, ostensibly clearing the way for himself to, to run in 2019. Now, bear in mind, Buhari is running, uh, Buhari is in office, so we have a northern in office. It was expected that, yes, I mean, the, the APC had chosen to go with the northerner because, of course, they were, they were seeking to replace um, um, Jonathan. Um, Atiku runs back to PDP. PDP decides that, yes, we should go with a northerner since, I mean, we're, we're trying to, we, the last president we had was a southerner. And of course, we're also trying to tackle this northern president who is very powerful in the north so we can counter him in the north with a strong northerner and then have um, our, our southern strength 
you know, enable us to return to power. But I think we failed to win. We failed to win. And so Buhari gets to complete eight years of a northern um, presidency. Now, all of a sudden, we're hearing people say that, no, the fact that the country has just completed eight years of a northerner does not matter. Because PDP's last president, the last person to serve as a president for the PDP was a southerner, PDP should continue to field a northerner to balance the ticket. There's nothing more ridiculous than that. There's many reasons. One, for me, and I've said this, I believe that, yes, I mean, and, and I can show you evidence of Atiku having said this in 2006 about zoning being important, that it was important enough to give every geopolitical zone the opportunity to become, to, to, to become, uh, to become president so that you, first of all, clear all of the you know, distrust that we have before you then say, no, this no longer matters. We have a level playing field, whoever wins, wins. He said this himself. And he's decided now that that doesn't matter anymore. Instead, we should have a northerner succeed a northerner. You also have the fact that you've just, you ran for president. The fact that you lost should not give you another opportunity to run again. What you're essentially telling us is that as long as PDP keeps losing, PDP should keep fielding a northerner. And I'm, and I'm totally, for me, it is so ludicrous, it's untrue, because Zoning should not guarantee you the presidency. So for, I believe very much in the equality of opportunity, not equal outcomes. So yes, everybody should have the opportunity to run for president. If you win, you get in. If you don't win, the next zone, you know, based on where we, ha- where we are as a country, should get the opportunity to go. So you got the opportunity in 2019, as a northerner, running against a northerner, because we had a northerner who had just done four years. And so if you had come in, then you will have done four years, and then we will have seen where we will have gone. But you lost, a northerner completed eight years. Quite rightly, what should happen is that the next zone, the next opportunity in the PDP should be the South. It should be the South. So all of a sudden he's turned zoning upside down to mean, oh, we don't care whatever the country is, whatever has happened in the country, it is us as a party, and we will keep giving the opportunity to one zone who, if they keep losing. It is just ridiculous. So for me, there, there are a number of things that, 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 I mean, don't make sense. One is you provide an opportunity to a zone. They run. If they win, you sh- it guarantees you that first term, but it should not guarantee you eight years. Why should zoning guarantee you eight years? Zoning should guarantee you the opportunity to go you win, you do your four years, then you get challenged. Let the people, the Nigerian people, the electorate, determine whether you deserve a second term. If they say no and choose somebody else, then we start all over again. But it must always be north-south. I've had a lot of disingenuous arguments where they want to even devolve it from north-south to, oh, there are some political zones that have not gotten it before. You see arguments like, Oh, in the in, I mean, two zones in the south have gotten it. If we go to a third zone in the south, we'll be three zones in the south, but only one in the north. But is it anybody's fault that every time that it's gone to the north, it's only the northwest that has produced presidents? It's nobody's fault. 
So, I mean, I, I've gone through all of this just to, you know, give points that show that this guy will say anything to further his ambition. And he's been saying it from way back. It's been about him, you know, putting himself in a place to be president. That's all he cares about. So he'll make an argument today. Five years later, he'll make another argument. He'll make zoning today. He'll twist the zoning argument tomorrow. And it's all proving that he cannot be trusted and that it's all about his ambition. But I've always said that, you know, he's been, he's, he owns it and he talks about it. And so Nigerians should hold him to account on that basis. That's what should be important to Nigeria. They should go with clear eyes as to what does it mean for them? What are they looking for? And then make their decisions on that basis. But nobody should be fooled into thinking that Atiku Abubakar is saying this out of a sense of altruism or that he wants to be fair. No, this guy is about himself and he will twist the arguments any way that, that benefits him. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me come to Eloka. Eloka, the other question is, how do you think Southern voters are going to respond to Atiku's statement? Because from the commentary on social media, there seems to be a lot of division. Some people seem to agree with him, others disagree. But what is your view of the, how do you think the Southern electorate are going to respond to this idea that zoning is, is only a party affair and has nothing to do with whether or not the current president is also from the North? Well, um, I mean, I have been very vocal on this matter, all right? And especially to a lot of Southern PDP people. And, and I always tell them that when we, when we have this conversation, we need to be honest and not duplicitous. We don't need to lie to ourselves. I, 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 think, I think the problem is I see a lot of people because of quote-unquote party supremacy, they go against their own personal beliefs. So you have a belief system. This is what you. This is what your idiosyncrasies are. But because you have to adhere to parties, you 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 have to fight your fight a belief system that has been with you for most of your life. I mean, it's it's a painful game they are playing. But I think Nigerians should vote with their fists on February twenty fifth because what Atiku is saying makes absolutely no sense. I mean, we recall a PDP where Obasanjo was about to leave government and there was a Peter Odili. I mean, I'm, I was old enough. We all, we had all assumed that Peter Odili was going to become president of Nigeria. But the same PDP said, I mean, we talked about fairness, we talked about balance, and we talked about equity. Obasanjo had the power. A personal could have insisted and said, ah, Peter, you'll be president. We will rig you in and nothing will happen. Until nothing will have happened. But they said, no. That we believe in justice and equity. And we're saying, we're going to shift power to you. And so the president, the political parties are very close to rule nations. So when you become president, you don't become president of the PDP or president of the APC. You become president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. Atiku's case is even more infuriating because Atiku's claim of injustice was good luck, Jonathan, with contesting in 2015. I mean, we are all in Nigeria, all there when he said that the agreement was that because of good luck had used uh, out, um, an act of God happened, Yadua died, 
good luck won an election. And that the agreement was that he was going to run for one term. So the North could complete what? Umar Yadwa's term. And it was a fair argument. And that is the reason why he left the PDP and contested the primaries under APC and lost to Muhammad Buhari. Again, he came back to the PDP and the PDP zoned the presidency to the North because it was he was a gentleman who said, okay, Buhari is, is, Buhari is going to run under APC. It is right for a Northerner to represent the PDP. And it was Southerners that did that. Southerners took that and said, you know what, we won't be greedy. Let the North fulfill their terms. Southerners have been the one funding the PDP. To be precise, Niger Delta people. They've been the one funding the PDP. But what has happened? And so when, when, you, when, I, when I listened to Atiku's interview, I was disappointed. You know, it, it would have been better for, you, for, for him to have said that he had no position on zoning, that he didn't mind them zoning the presidency to the South, that it was a decision of the um, zoning committee to say, let's leave it open not to uh, disenfranchise people. And out of free and fair elections, he won. And he understands what Nigerians are seeing. But the truth of the matter is, we understand zoning is right, we understand what it is, but what Nigerians need, need now is a government that to provide better living conditions for Nigerians, protect Nigerians, not to throw that logic of saying is unfair for Southerners. I mean, I expect, I mean, again, it shows that the article, the, the article people tried to, the narrative they tried to create for him in the media is different from who he really is. He's just a power-hungry person. And so he's going to, I mean, if you check his antecedents, he's always trying to game the system. In 2014, he was gaming the system. 2007, he ran for Iran under um, the Action Congress of Nigeria. You know, that's not to say, I do not have anything against Article saying, this is power, and this is democracy. We now take so. I don't have anything with that point. But I have my issue with, with, with the Southern PDP people who know that they are being misled or rather they are being fooled. And I've watched and thinking, what is the end game here? What are we actually doing? What does my our party stand for? We are Chris Goodluck, Jonathan of usurping the turn of the North. And it's fine. But coincidentally, everybody has paid that penalty. Buhari's eight years is penalty for good dog Jonathan usurping the turn of the North. You cannot come and say after we have spent eight years with Buhari, therefore you now want to whitewash it or remove, erase, erase history and say, ah, that was APC's eight years. Now it's PDP's eight years. No, not, I mean, you can't tell Nigerians that kind of, I mean, you cannot, you cannot choose that kind of logic. It's faulty. And I, I, and I, and to be honest, I'm, I, I'm impressed that a lot of people, are, I mean, I do not like Mickey's politics, but Wiki is always saying that nobody is a fool. You can't fool people all the time. Because what is the end game? If Article loses today, will they present him next? Will they present another four years in four years' time or in eight years' time? If P2B loses today, what will happen? Is APC going to say, ah, because a Southerner didn't win in this election, we're going to present a Southerner in eight years? I mean, where does this, where does this, Cat and rat, cat and rat, mouse game end. Cat and rat game end. Sorry. So I mean, it's fair. I mean, it's, I mean he's a president, he's president candidate of the PDP, and he has done what he thinks is right. Let Nigerians on election day 
do what they think is right to. And that's that's what that's going to what's going to settle this whole conversation. If Southerners feel that it doesn't matter that we're going to have a Fulani to Fulani transition, a Muslim to Muslim transition, and they vote for it, I'm okay with it. I mean, elections have consequences. We live with the outcomes. And who knows? In eight years' time, someone can also say, ah, man, APC can say, ah, it's articles eight years. It's our own time for, it's our own, it's, it's PDP's not an eight years. It's our, it's, our own, it's our own time for APC's not an eight years too. I mean, we can always play this logic around. You know, but most importantly, the Nigerian voter has the key. If the Nigerian voter is okay with this, I'm fine. If they're not okay with it, they vote with their hand at least to teach people a lesson. Thank you. Thank you, Eloka. I think the final question on this topic will go to Phoenix. Phoenix, some people have said that regardless of what Atiku's view on zoning is, that the pragmatic argument is that the choice really is between Atiku and Tinubu. And if for what, even if Southerners want a Southern president, given that the option is Tinubu, it makes more sense for them to go with Atiku because Atiku is still objectively a better candidate than Tinubu. And that this idea of demanding zoning could lead to a Tinubu presidency, which will be worse for Nigerians. So how do you respond to that, Phoenix? I, I respond to that with, with, um, I mean, typically I always laugh when I hear it because I'm like, they haven't, they don't give you any, anything to support their claim beyond, oh, this is how, this is how, what we've always had. We've always had big parties win. But what I always ask them is a few questions. Have we had this type of scenario before where we had a strong, third party and when i say strong it's not just because i'm somebody who's pro peter ob we've seen unless people are telling us to forget how elections are normally analyzed right we've 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 heard analysts talk about it we've seen polls come out that have confirmed that we have a very strong third force this time around not one that can just be put aside so we've never had that before. We've never had a third force that had the reach, that had the backing, that gave it, gives it a chance. No one is saying that, oh, I mean, even though a lot of the polls have shown that P2B is leading one way or the other, but I've been pragmatic enough to say, look, while I will say very clearly that I don't see a path, and I continue to say I don't see a path for Tinubu, I've always been pragmatic enough to say, look, between Atiku and Obi, and I'm watching to see how things pan out, um, especially in the areas where they are equally strong. So for somebody to come out and tell me, oh, because, because we believe that it will always be between PPP and APC, that if we, if we then say that he must be a Southerner, Knowing that it's only one of them that can win, then we should be. Then it means that we're saying that it's going to be makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. It is just a cop out. It is a bogeyman story that people are just selling to hide the fact that they they are. And most people that say this are PDP party members who know that what they are doing is indefensible. 
but they are using Tinubu as the bogeyman to justify the stupidity of what they are doing. They know that under no circumstances should PDP have fielded a northerner to, as their candidate when Nigeria has just had a northern president for eight years. The PDP knows that what they've done doesn't make sense. They also know that their traditional base has kicked against it and kicked against it even before they did their primaries. But they decided to go ahead. They told us all sorts of stories. Oh, zoning doesn't count now. You win. It's when you win that you zone. Oh, um, uh, you can't zone what you don't have. Blah, blah. They told us all those things. They, they, they plumped for another. They threw it open because they felt that, oh, we needed to go and capture those Burari votes. So live with your choice. Don't then talk, come, turn around and come and gaslight us and tell us, oh, only APC and PDP can win. And because we don't want APC to remain in power, we have to go with what? No, <clears throat> we have a viable option. If all of us decide to vote for that viable option, which, which ticks all the boxes. If you are talking about who's the most competent, capable, and, and best candidate on the ballot, there's only one name, and it's not close. If we're talking about equity, balance, zoning, there's only one name, and it's not close. So there's only one person that ticks all the right boxes. And that's Peter Obi. So right-meaning, well-thinking people should be queuing up behind the right choice, not trying to gaslight people and use Tinubu as a bogeyman to tell them that, oh, no, if you make this choice, you will live with APC. Yeah, we lived with Buhari for eight years, so we did now. And I, and I can assure you that Tinubu cannot be any worse than... than um, than Buhari. So if Nigerians have to live with a Tinubu rather than allowing the inequity of having 12 to 16 years of Northern rule back to back, I think for me, that is the bigger problem for Nigerians. That is a bigger problem. We're still in a place where we're trying to hold this project called Nigeria together. And even Atiku alluded to this 16 years ago, that we must do this rotation to firm up our nationhood before we start throwing it away. So coming out of eight years of Northern rule, we must, you know, for me, it makes zero sense. And especially at a time when we have, we're not even saying that, you're not even telling me that, oh, let's go vote for Atiku because he's the best on the ballot. No, he's not. There's somebody clearly head and shoulders above him. So let's make the right choice and stop trying to sell nonsense bad market to people there's no there's no there's no case that they are making the labor party stands a very strong chance as of today i am projecting that the labor party candidate is the only one who looks most likely to win three geopolitical zones and have a strong showing in the one i asked them to show me how Atiku will come close to that three geopolitical zones so, I mean, there's, there's no basis for what they're saying. It's pure gaslighting. I'm trying to, you know, you know get, get out of the thing that they've roped themselves into. And they have to own it and live with it. It's as simple as that. Thank you, Phoenix. I hope the, the listeners at home will reach their judgment. Uh, Phoenix, you seem confident that Atiku is not going to has no path but uh 
time will tell. It's going to be February in less than two, two, two months in a few days. So I'm sure time will tell. And I'll remind you at the time to see if your predictions are correct. But our time is up. So first of all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't said he has no power. I've said that the battle is between him and Peter Obi. And I, and I give Peter Obi the edge. But, okay, well, but we should I mean, people should stop trying to sell us markets. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Okay, well, we, we shall see. So, well, our time is up. So, first of all, thank you, Eloka, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting this podcast. And I must say, as Phoenix said at the start, thank you to our listeners for giving us a fantastic year. You've been listening and giving us helpful feedback, which we've noted, and we always take your feedback on board. But I think the next time we're going to hear from you guys will be in the new year. So... I wish all of you a happy new year and God's blessings. But until same time next next year, I say have a fantastic seven days. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Aloka, for joining us this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you, listeners, for, for being there. I mean, it's been a pleasure sharing this with you. And we, we as Michael say, says, uh, we do like getting your feedback and we appreciate that. Um, and we do listen and, and try to, and we'll be we'll be looking to offer even more next year, particularly as we do the run up to the election. So stick with us. Um, Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, wish you a very very um, positive twenty twenty three. Thank you all. Thank you. Oh.